This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. But uh, let's uh, let's go back to City Hall. Uh, yesterday, Councillor Terry Whitehead, of course, made an announcement at City Hall, uh, a, a media conference um, that did not go well. We're going to get into the details about it, what he actually talked about. But I also want to talk about the rather surreal experience that occurred there as well. And uh, to that point, we welcome uh, Terry Whitehead, Councillor for Ward 8 up on the West Mountain, back to the Bill Kelly Show. Good morning, Terry. How are you? Good morning, Bill. Good to be with you and your listeners. Well, let's. Uh, I want to get into some of the meat and potatoes of what you were saying. But let, first of all, let's let's talk about the whole scene. What the hell happened yesterday? Um, well, I made a comment without any detail. Uh, wasn't quite in context. Uh, that was reported on the uh, Hamilton Spectator. I believe it was Friday or Saturday morning. In respect to the announcement uh, by uh, the, the Minister of Transportation. Uh, and I indicated that uh, I would provide a more fulsome response uh, next week, which was yes, uh, which was the press conference yesterday. Um, I uh, put a fact sheet together and put a, uh, notes together and contacted the media to indicate uh, that this is my opportunity to provide that response. And uh, so I stepped out. Uh, we invited all the media. We stepped out to read the statement. Uh, and then indicate to the uh, media that uh, any questions they have, I would make myself available to answer any of those questions. When I finished my statement, I had to go into the uh, the question side. Uh, another counselor, uh, uh, Counselor Green, um, I guess basically tried to hijack the the the, 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 conf- the the press conference. And I have all the all, I have all the respect that he has every uh, opportunity and responsibility to. Uh, vocalize his position or his response to uh, what it had to say. But certainly uh, it lacked decorum, it lacked respect. And like Tom Jackson said, he in all the whole time he's been in council, he's never seen that happen. But it did happen. It did. Uh, and then there was, a, 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 well, there was some sort of involvement with a, a citizen, a, a, a guy that used to run around, I guess, ran for mayor in the last election. Uh, do you, I'm sure you've seen, you've, you've, you lived it, you experienced this, but I'm sure you've seen the video subsequent to this as well. Uh, I, I mean, is this, is this the kind of decorum, is this the kind of a- attitude, the kind of actions that, that is going to garner respect for elected officials? No, absolutely not. I mean, uh, I, I believe that, uh, everyone's got good intentions around that, uh, horseshoe, uh, uh, but I think there has to be mutual respect. We're going to have a difference of opinion and, uh, we have, the mechanisms to uh, share our positions to the general public through the media and through other avenues. Um, I always believed, and my dad always taught me, that uh, you attack the issues, you don't attack the people. Uh, once you attack the people, that's when you uh, bring it down to a very low level. I'd rather stay high, and unfortunately, uh, another council cho- chose to go low. So what's going to happen? Well, I think, uh, uh, well, I mean, I know what's happened with that. I mean, I, I, I think that was more about trying to knock uh, the message out of the media and make that the story. So I think that was the... Uh, well, that, the and it happened. If that's what he was trying to do, it worked. Cause, I mean, that's the story today. Well, absolutely. I mean, that was his whole intent. He didn't. He wanted to muffle the story and the points and uh, the salient points I was bringing forward by making the story about uh, the hijacking of the, uh, of, of the media conference. And I think that's unfortunate. Uh, that is just old school politics. Uh, that is not something that uh, uh, I don't think it behooves any councillor uh, to be doing. Was there a breach of ethics as far as you're concerned? Well, I, I know this much. Uh, I talked to a number of councillors who were completely disgusted by uh, the action. So I don't think uh, it's doing Ward 3 residents any good when you further isolate yourself at council. 
So are you going to pursue this? I mean, are, there, you, you have an integrity commissioner, and then you're supposed to be talking about ethics. You're supposed to be talking about proper behavior. I mean, other councils have been called out. Are you going to do? Are you going to pursue this with with anybody else or, to a higher level? No, no. Uh, I believe that uh, uh, the general public got to see the video. They got to read the stories. Uh, they can draw their own conclusions and judgment. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, I think a mistake was made, um, and I'll let the general public call uh, that counselor on it. Well, we'll see what happens at the next meeting. Should be rather interesting. All right, listen, I, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about what you wanted to talk about yesterday, too, because this ongoing, you were on uh, the day after you came on our program, the day after uh, Minister Del Duca was in town here, and uh, you said you were going to do some further research on some of these things. So what, what was what was the, the end result of that? Well, two things, uh, Bill. Uh, I, I would ask you the question or your listeners the question. Uh, what is the cost of the operating for these, this transit system? What is the, or ask the mayor, uh, who clearly blindly wants to support something without knowing the cost. What is the tax implication for the tax for this community for the implementation of the system? Anyone answer that question? No, I, I, listen, I've asked the mayor, I've asked Paul Johnson, who's in charge of this thing, and the answer, we have talked to the Metrolinks representatives. And when I ask that question, all I'm being told in response is, well, that's being negotiated. Well, okay, so... He, he, Which so is pretty flimsy, by the way. Check. At this point, we're signing a blank check. The problem and the challenge I have uh, is that we never enter into any project without understanding the impacts on our taxpayers. So when you have people come on your show and say this is a done deal, uh, one, that's naive, it's unfortunate, it's misrepresenting uh, the facts. The facts is, uh, if this cost is prohibitive uh, for our taxpayers to absorb, I'm sure there's going to be a number of councils that will take that under consideration when that vote takes place. So uh, it's all but nothing when people indicate that this is a done deal. It's not a done deal. No one signs blank checks. Right now, for example, the Anglican crossover, the, the operating cost is $80 million a year. Now, that's 19-kilometer stretch. If you divide that by per kilometer, that's $4 million per kilometer. So uh, when you take a look at, uh, you apply that cost to the 11-kilometer stretch for the LRT, you're looking at over $40 million. Now, the caveat is that it's, it's a more robust system. It's 10 kilometers underground. So even if we brought it down 50%, that's $22 million. That's half, half our total cost of our conventional system in the city of Helmand. So hundreds of kilometers of transit in this city uh, represents about $46 million. $22 million would represent almost half. So the question is, are taxpayers prepared to take on that cost? But we don't know. That's the problem. I, I understand where you're coming from because I've tried to get answers on this too, and I think a lot of people in this community have been trying to get answers about this as well. And I'm not even sure what Minister Del Duca was talking about last week now that I read some of the fine print in this. I mean, I, I have no problem at all with increased service up to the airport. That's a wonderful idea. But I don't know if they said they were going to pay for it. I don't know if they said they were just going to pay for the study. I don't know what's going on here. I, I, I get the frustration here. But listen, well, you, you've you been and, criticized, and so Terry. That, that announcement, I, let's be clear to all your listeners. We, we have to do an A-line. There's no question, and uh, it's all about timing and location, design, and implication and cost on any project. But uh, I've made it clear. You've got a billion-dollar project. The province came in and said, we're not going to accept the original plan from a destination location to a destination location. So that was from McMaster to Eastgate. That design, that plan, wasn't by accident. 
there was some studies that indicate that you would uh, you have uh, direct north-south connectivity with Eastgate. You have parking. Uh, it's it'd be uh, more efficient to feed the system uh, at that location than at the node. The problem with the node is there's no north-south uh, uh, coordination or, or alignment. Uh, so that means you'd have to put more buses on just to feed the node. That's not a cost-effective way of doing things. And I am concerned that if we're going to have LRT, then we have a responsibility to lower the risk to the taxpayer that is clear to me that Eastgate uh, would enhance the uh, ridership than certainly the current uh, current position. All right, all right. We we understand that, and you you've been. I, I get where you're coming from on this, and these are all valid questions. I understand that, but you have been accused of of, of being well flip flopping. I think is the phrase they use in politics. I mean, Mayor Eisenberger and you had an exchange about that a couple of days yeah. ago at a meeting. Uh, yeah, at one point you were opposed to this, you were skeptical, then you said, well, it's probably going to happen, we have to make sure it's done properly. I, I'm getting the sense now that you're offside on this now, that you, you don't well, want to see this thing happen. Is that, yeah, is that where you let's are? Be clear, let's be clear, There's, you know, context is everything. So uh, we have two transit uh, experts that had collectively, Don Hall and Dave Dixon, collectively had more uh, tr- uh, transportation uh, public transit experience than anyone that's currently around that table. They told us that we're probably 25 years out from uh, having an LRT. We proved a plan this past... Uh, uh, so it's not that you're against LRT. The, fa- the fact is you need to build and demonstrate the ridership to justify LRT. So are you so against it now? There's a nuance. Are you, are you opposed to this project now? Uh, if it doesn't go to Eastgate uh, and the costs are prohibitive, Absolutely. Okay, so I want to be clear on that. What your position is now? So, so what are next steps? You wait to get information. Are you, I mean, one of the things you said you were going to try to get some answers to here is to whether or not, since the route has been changed, that a simple up and down vote is necessary now. Is that are you still on side to do that? Well, I think two things are happening right now uh, from a process point of view. Uh, we were told that we couldn't change anything uh, in regards to the agreement. We were told that. Uh, that um, we would jeopardize a billion dollars, and you would need two-thirds vote. Now, all of a sudden, the province... By the way, when you talk about changing minds, uh, they're the ones that forced the truncated uh, route on us in the first place and substituted with the uh, the spur. All of a sudden, three-quarters into the process, they've decided they're going to pull the spur. So I guess uh, it's okay to change your mind. Uh, and the problem with that, though... Is now do they do we need uh, two thirds vote just to open up the uh, the uh, process to accept this change and by doing that now do you open it up to fifty percent plus one uh, making uh, an ultimate decision on the uh, future of the LRT system? All right, who do you have to, who do you have to talk to to get clarity on that? I've already went to the clerks and they're uh, they'll be seeking independent legal advice on that. So you're going to get an answer with what within the next couple of days? Uh, well, the time frame is theirs, but certainly before the next uh, uh, GIC, LRT, or, or council meeting, I would hope. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. It was uh, surreal, bizarre. I mean, boy, there's a long list of adjectives we could use about uh, what happened at City Hall yesterday. Here's, here's just a little snippet. Get rid of this guy here. Bring in this guy here. Get rid of everyone. Vote me in. You'll be the happiest damn city in the world. That's a, a fellow by the name of Edward Graydon who uh, hijacked 
the uh, the press conference yesterday that Terry Whitehead was talking to us about just a couple of minutes ago. He, uh, if you recognize the name, he ran for mayor in the last uh, municipal election, uh, and uh, was finally escorted out uh, away from the meeting yesterday. But that was that was after Councillor Matthew Green had hijacked the meeting that Councillor Whitehead had called, and on and on it went. And then Councillor Green and this this guy got into some sort of a, a match back and forth on this as well. We should mention, by the way. Uh, Councillor Whitehead did join us in the first segment of the program. Uh, we also extended an, an invitation to Councillor Green to join us and did not get a response. But uh, we will certainly pursue that, and uh, hopefully Matthew Green can join us at uh, some other time and certainly talk about what happened yesterday and, and the motivation behind that. We are going to continue to talk about it. The Laura Babcock, president of Power Group, joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show on CHML uh, to give her take on this. Uh, good morning, Laura. First of all, how are you today? <laughs> I am well, Bill. A little embarrassed by the state of our politics. Well, you've to tell you, you. you've I seen the video. A, I have seen just the video. just another day of paradise, right? It was a disaster. I've I have I have run press conferences on much more <laughs> disturbing topics and had some difficulty and never seen anything as crazy as yesterday. So I've been in the fire and I have never seen it so ridiculous as what we saw yesterday. Actually, the, the adjective that I chose was ignominious, yep. which means deserving of public shame, right? <laughs> because it really did deserve public, public shame. It was a terrible press conference. And not just because um, to to use Dreschel's words, or the words you just used, that that Matt hijacked Terry, and then the the protester hijacked Matt. It was not good from the very beginning. The press conference. It wasn't good from when it was initially conceived. The way that it was announced, they were going to be doing this, wasn't good. Terry Whitehead, I thought, miscommunicated that badly. And then you had the beginning of the press conference where Terry Staffer was up there putting out rules of engagement. That you know, the last time we saw someone try to hold a press conference and not take questions from the podium was Sean Spicer, Trump's spokesperson, and the media flipped out on him for it. And now Terry Whitehead tried to pull that, and Joey Coleman got up in Terry's face and his poor staffer didn't have the answers and had to leave the podium. I mean, the whole thing from the beginning was ill-conceived. So Terry may feel he had an important message, but I have to say this thing didn't just go south because Matt Green stepped in. It went south long before. Well, you know, and, and that's why I wanted to give Councillor Whitehead an opportunity to come on to and talk first of all about what happened. But I said, okay, what is the message? And, and I got to tell you, I didn't hear anything new. So I, I'm questioning why they even bothered to do this. I mean, it was it was grandstanding as much as anything else, but there's no new information there. Well, and this is the thing, is that, you know, I was... He's, he's opposed cool. to it because he doesn't know the cost. Well, we knew that, like, months ago. Right, right. And so I, I was very critical of Terry's initial response to the province. Here they were coming back with some sort of a pseudo-compromise to engage the mountain and get that precious A-line that everyone's been clamoring for, including Whitehead, all these years. And here they come back with this, proposed idea of this this compromise and terry's first thing out of the gate is that it's a joke which once again sends a terrible message to our provincial partners that we in hamilton can't even rationally sit down and have a discussion and say you know i have some concerns i look forward to meeting with them to have the you know we can't seem to do things professionally in this town so instead he comes off saying it's a joke and that he's going to hold his own press conference so from the beginning it started off as more of a grandstanding move by terry whitehead than anything of substance and so by the time this thing is finally cobbled together, it's done in front of council colleagues who obviously would see 
seat is grandstanding and take offense, which obviously Mark, Matt Green did. I don't think he could take one more Terry Whitehead putting out Terry's version of things. It didn't speak for council. I mean, if the mayor wants to do an update press conference on the state of the LRT subcommittee, that's the mayor's job to do. It's not the job of, of an individual councillor who's been working this agenda. And more importantly, it's disrespectful to the press. I mean, if there's nothing new coming out of what you're going to say, don't don't get these people gathered at City Hall just to stand up there and look like you're in charge of the issue when you've got nothing real to offer, when you're not even going to take questions from the podium. If, they want, if he wants to be scrummed by the media, all he has to do is talk to them after council meetings. They're right there to scrum them any time. So the whole thing, Bill, was unprofessional grandstanding. It didn't look good on Terry. I put the blame on him mostly because he started this whole debacle from the beginning, but it didn't look great on Matt Green. It certainly didn't look great on that protester. I mean, the whole thing was, as I said, an ignominious spectacle. I I mean, you and I were talking about this while back and forth on uh, tweeting or texting last night. You you can watch this one more time. Your head was going to explode. It it, it was almost surreal to think this can't really be going on. I mean, I thought I was watching a Monty Python sketch. It, It looked like a Monty Python sketch. I mean, I was, I was dead tired and ready to go to bed, but had to wait for my media husband to get home to show him. Because in all, and he's, uh, my husband, as you know, has probably gone to a thousand press conferences yeah. as, a, as a camera guy. Never seen anything like it, you know, and it was, it was deserving of ridicule. And it was because it wasn't just simply the fact that it was ill-conceived and pointless and a waste of media's time. And they tried to pull that Sean Spicer power move off the top, which was a disaster, you know, uh, but then for it not to have any new information and Matt Green obviously couldn't take any more uh, I think I think if I don't want to speak for Matt obviously but if I can find any reason why he decided to put himself in the middle of that mess it's probably because there's been a very strong narrative of confusion coming from Terry Whitehead that's been picked up over and over and over again and I think that there was probably a sense of indignation at the idea that there was going to be a press conference adding more confusion to something that council was working on. And that's why I go back to, you know, whose job is it to hold a press conference for an update on a council position? Uh, is it the mayor's job? You know, if a council is going to do an individual press conference on, on their latest feelings about something without there being anything of major substance to it, I, I do think it's a misuse of of the media's time. It might not be, you know, illegal or unethical for Whitehead to do it. I don't know the council code of conduct on that, but it, it was it was a foolish move by Councillor Whitehead. It didn't advance his agenda at all, and, and I think Matt Green just couldn't take another, you know, um, media cycle of it looking like council couldn't handle LRT. But of course, it ended up looking like everybody down there needs to take a holiday or needs to take some, you know, courses in professionalism because it was really embarrassing. And the video had a mil- uh, what 1,400 clicks views by the time I logged off last night, Bill, so who knows where it's at today. It's embarrassing for the city. Well, and, and what they, they don't seem to understand, notwithstanding the fact that, 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 that it's been brought up dozens and dozens of times right now, is that when they act and carry on like this, what the story all of a sudden becomes the method, not the message. And I, you know, that's why I said, no, did you see a whole lot of coverage about actually what Councillor Whitehead was even talking about or about Matt Green's counterpoints to this? It was it was what they were doing, not what they were saying. And they, it's embarrassing. And they, I don't know that they get that yet. Well, and that's the thing is that I listened very carefully to what Matt Green said. And I, I actually thought he had a professional cogent argument. He was talking about council process, the number of votes on the issue, uh, you know, who should be speaking for an update. Like, I actually thought Matt's 
comments were solid. It's just that, and, and he seemed to deliver them well, it's just that in the middle of that circus, and even without that other protester jumping in and then challenging Matt's re-election and, and a mess, you know, and, and challenging all the, all the stuff he brought up, the protester, the, co- the comments Matt made were good. So the thing is here, and whether you're pro-LRT or not LRT, he was talking more to council's process and council's current status of voting on LRT. So when, you know, when uh, Dreschel characterized Matt as a hardliner a pro-LRT, I think hardliner is a little unfair. I don't think that that's how he came across. I think he was saying, here we are having a councillor speak for council, bring up, uh, speaking of Terry White, bringing up these these kind of confusing comments that don't reflect the status of where we are as a council. And he didn't, you know, and he wanted to kind of set the record straight and get the alternative facts out of the way so that the media had the actual facts. I mean, that was the whole drive of Matt's stepping up there. When you had this protester step in and say, get rid of, you know, turf all the bums, put me in charge, make the city great again. I mean, when it got to that point, then Matt looked even more foolish. So I don't love it's not a good look that Matt Green walked in on another person's press conference, but that press conference in the first place, I think, was was ill-conceived and didn't allow for balance for where council was really at. So I think that was a move of frustration by Matt Green, but his actual comments were good. And Terry, you know, didn't say anything really new, but Terry's allowed to say if the media asked him about it, yeah, I think maybe the Auditor General should look into the costing of this project. There's nothing wrong with Terry's saying that either it's just that you're right when you cannot act professionally and you cause a spectacle your messaging gets lost it took me a long time to figure out what they were both trying to say Bill. put <laughs> your put your theatrics. put your power group hat on for just a second here mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> here's rule one all right when you're doing i don't care who what kind of a speech it is or whatever but when you're doing a presser like that you'd never never engage with a heckler uh, I mean, A, it's unprofessional, and B, there's no way you can win. Absolutely. So what I have done when I've, I've uh, emceed press conferences in other cities and had hecklers, right, uh, is that I say to the media, we will resume this once this individual has, um, you know, completed their comments or has been taken out by security. I, I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to let my clients get in the middle of it with them. There, There is no win. All it does is create a YouTube video that makes everyone look terrible. And Matt Green at one point, I think, realized that and said, I'm I'm nothing to do with this man. I'm stepping out of the frame, essentially. Tried to step out of the camera shot. But that's so he how, he, he'd already been baited. When, when, when that guy said, make Ca- Hamilton great again, you could just see, you know, that one got him. And he yeah, responded, and you're not supposed to do that. I mean, public figures are supposed to understand this kind of behavior and understand uh, it just, everybody was acting badly. And, and, and it just seemed as if they fed off each other once that started going spiraling downhill the way that it did. So if I, with my power group hat on, how I would have redone it yesterday, I mean, obviously, Terry Whitehead's messaging on the lead up to all that, I've already been critical of. and uh, We all know his communication's not his strength. When they got there, obviously, um, knowing that Terry was going to hold this press conference, of course, his staff shouldn't have tried to control the engagement piece that, that we've talked about. What they should have done is Matt Green should have had his team circulate to all of the media and say, as soon as Terry has done his remarks, Matt Green will be holding a media uh, press conference. It should go about 10 minutes. He will take questions from the podium. And then the media would respectfully stay for another 10 minutes. And then we wouldn't have had to have that silly scene where, you know, they're, they're both kind of, you know, shuffling to see who gets to have the microphone. And Matt's looking at the front of the podium saying, it's the City of Hamilton logo. It's the, you know, that whole theater 
shouldn't have happened. Matt's team should have simply informed the media there is going to be another speaker after Terry. We're starting our own press conference using that same podium. You don't have to move your mics and cameras. We're good to go. Um, and, and that would have been so much more professional, right? It might not have stopped that protester, but the protester said one of the reasons why he got so fired up is because he thought that Matt stepped on Terry's press conference event and he got angry. So a little more professionalism from everybody from Terry's team setting up the presser to uh, Matt's team advising the media, hey, listen, we're going to do a, a follow-up press conference at the same spot. That would have probably dialed this thing down from a, from a 98 to an 8. And then we could have just listened to what these two counselors thought about LRT. There's an interesting comment that I thought was rather instructive from one of the counselors who was there, uh, not one of the two principals involved in this that suggested that it was bad form and bad protocol because usually counselors just give everybody enough space, you know. In other words, when counselor so-and-so is in the spotlight, you let them have the spotlight. Then you go and grab the spotlight later on. But And I thought that was rather instructive, that, that that's almost like a silent rule, I guess, like among counselors now to, to not step on each other's toes. And that was certainly breached yesterday. Well, that's the thing is that they also have these other rules, right, where they try to stay out of each other's ward business. And, they, you know, there's a lot of horse trading that goes on at council. I don't know that Matt Green is necessarily the kind of counselor that is too concerned with conventions if he thinks that the convention is stepping on an important message or stepping on an important idea. And so in the case of yesterday, if you look at, Terry has had a ton of media on his opposition to LRT, and even Dreschel was trying to understand where Terry is. He was pro it, he was anti it, now he's just a critic of it. I mean, so this isn't a good look on Terry either. It might get people in his ward all riled up that they've got a fighter on there for them. But at the end of the day, I think it's, it's done some damage to the city's reputation, if not the project. And so he is out there doing his getting tons of media and I think for other counselors who think that Terry's been putting some information out there that is just adding confusion uh, it's a it's a source of real frustration so yes the protocol within their own conventions may be to say hey let him do his grandstanding showboating and then you can do yours later but you know I don't think that Matt Green is particularly restrained by things like that I think he saw an opportunity in front of the media to get what he thought the facts were out um, now, as I said, he should have done it a different way. His, he had staff there because the staff tried to handle the protester initially. He could have had his staff inform the media as soon as Terry said he was done. Uh, could they just wait a few more minutes for Matt's remarks before they did the scrum? I, I, I'm going to assume, like I say, we reached out to Councillor Green. He has not responded to us. We, we did talk to Councillor Whitehead just a few minutes ago. But if they're both sitting there this morning feeling pretty good about the way that they handled this thing yesterday, they they would be wrong. Because I think the takeaway for this, Laura, right now is that neither one... And by the way, I'm getting a lot of tweets of this as you and I are having this discussion, and, mm-hmm. and it's divided equally. Those that, you know, say, well, no, Whitehead was right because he's got to ask these questions, and then the other side is, no, Matt Green was right because, you know, you've got to support this project for the good of Hamilton. But neither one of them yesterday advanced their argument. Neither one of them gave any validity to their argument. The end result, the takeaway to this whole thing yesterday, it was bad behavior. And that's all people are talking about here today. And that's, you know, you mentioned the number of hits that that, that video has had on social media over the last 15 or 16 hours. That's not a good thing. It was, it, it was a bad look on both of them. And, you know, your listeners would know that I think that LRT is a good project. It's not perfect, and there are issues around it. But I do think taking the, the money while it's available to us to do higher level transit is good and I'm open for compromise and I'm open for Terry's questions. I think they're good questions to have. What I object to is deliberate 
provocation of the province as a partner, deliberate misinformation, if that's what's happening by anyone on that council, to muddy the waters and to mislead the public. That stuff is what really bothers me. But I also, as a communications professional, just do not like to see our city politicians, the people we pay to represent us, acting unprofessionally in the, in the realm of communications, which is what this is and why you called me. This is not how you handle city business. It's not how you handle press conferences. It's not how you handle protesters. And so both Matt and Terry looks not great. And they neither one of them, I think, are doing victory laps. In fact, Terry Whitehead, there's a screenshot that somebody took of him right after the whole thing ended. And his face was not the face of a man who thought it went well. <laughs> you know, he may have repositioned it by this morning, but I don't think in the moment he thought it was a particularly successful event. And I'll lead you to uh, one of your media colleagues, summarization on Twitter was, well, that just went to hell. I mean, that is not a successful media event for either one of them. And you're right. They looked foolish. They looked unprofessional. The whole thing. I mean, the the entire thing from its conception was ill-conceived, as I've laid out. Uh, And Matt, there were other ways, you know, in future, if he feels he needs to step up and speak, uh, he can do it right afterwards in a, in a way that doesn't cause all of that, that theater. So, yeah, they don't, neither one of them should feel great this morning about it. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. And, uh, and we want to talk a little bit about that. I mean, this is information that you may use later on this afternoon or this evening when uh, we get another blast of winter here in the Hamilton area. Rebecca, thank you for joining us. How are you today? I'm well, William, and thank you for inviting me. It's great to have you with us here today. Let, let's let's talk a little bit about this. I mean, it, it, when you're handling personal injury cases like this, uh, invariably you'll get requests. People come in there and say, look, it, I something happened to me. And it could be any number of different things. Uh, it could be a car uh, collision, uh, slip and sliding, uh, any, uh, slipping and sliding on the street, et cetera, like that. How do you how do you proceed? I mean, uh, I got the sense from the piece that you wrote uh, that uh, that's appearing in the, uh, the Brabant newspapers that that there's there's a responsibility for for the the potential victim here too isn't there well responsibility if you uh you know want to see a potentially successful lawsuit and not every fall results in a lawsuit i mean sometimes we trip over our own two feet and there's nothing a responsible property owner could have done to prevent you from falling and you know it just it uh, these things happen but, um, you know, in, in situations where there is something that the property owner did to cause your fall, then, um, yeah, by all means, a lawsuit may be the best way for you to be, to be compensated. What happens? Let's, let's, let's go and maybe go through the steps here. First one, you have a fall. Let's, let's just take that as a scenario yep. here. What do I do? Well, obviously, your well-being is the top priority. So if you are seriously hurt call an ambulance or have someone around call an ambulance because, um, you know, your well-being is much more important than any lawsuit. So, you know, that's priority one. The second thing, um, and, I, you know, we get any personal injury lawyer in our city gets uh, inundated with calls this time of year, um, and we all ask the same sort of uh, um, intro questions um, just, to, just to sort of gauge how, um, uh, how, how well we will be able to move this lawsuit along if there's going to indeed be one. And the things we are looking for, um, you know, we need to establish where you fell and why you fell. Because, you know, um, defense lawyers, and I was one for 10 years, defense lawyers ask these questions, so we ask them at the outset, you know, where did you fall and why did you fall? And how are you going to establish, how are you going to prove that that is indeed where and why you fell? And the best answer is because I've got photographs. 
and everybody, so, everybody has a camera now. Well, on a phone, everyone yeah. has a camera, and if and if you don't, someone in the uh, surrounding area will have one. So you know that's <clears throat> excuse me, that is key to establishing that you didn't fall down your own front stairs. You fell in that parking lot, or you fell in that aisle, or you know, or you fell in that alley. Um, you know, so key that is, you know, if someone tells me that they have photographs of where they fell and why they fell and they were taken at the time they fell or right after they fell, then uh, you know that's that's way past first base. You're you're doing you know you're doing really well um, as far as trying to protect your own rights. The uh, the second thing. Um, you know, after making sure you're not serious, if you're seriously hurt, call an ambulance and then take photographs is, you know, you know, and again, because of the same kind of reasons, to be able to establish where you fell and why you fell, and again, to, you know, provide some objective information about the conditions, you know, of the surface and, and your injuries, get the names and contact information for people who witnessed this. And if they didn't actually witness the fall, if they witnessed sort of the aftermath when you need to be helped up and so on, those people too, get their contact information because, um, you know, their, their assistance later on may be, you know, the, the difference between a successful lawsuit and not. Well, let's, I'm gonna, I'll just stop you for a second there because that's an mm-hmm. important point because uh, in the, from what you've been telling me o- over the years is, is from the time that, that something happens, like a fall, as we're, we're using in that scenario, until there may well be a, 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 a legal case, whether it's going to be an out-of-court settlement or, a, or a, a trial itself, that, that can be a long, long time, can't it? It can be years. And the reason, you know, there's a couple of reasons, um, but, but what I tell clients is the most salient reason, reason why their case will take a long time is because we're, we have to wait till the point where their doctors say, you know, th- this is your firm prognosis. This is what your future is going to look like. You know, your, your fracture may have healed, but you've got soft tissue damage and you're going to have a bit of a, you know, a limp or a sore back or, or um, less strength in your hand or what have you. But it takes a long time for the human body to, to sort of uh, reach maximal medical recovery. And that's, you know, lawyers aren't, no lawyers I know anyway, are slow. It's just that, you know, we're waiting for you to get your therapy done and, and get to your doctors. You know, it takes a while to get to specialist appointments. So, you know, until you get um, sort of that uh, final determination from your doctors as to what your future is going to look like, it's too early to settle your case. Well, and with that time frame in mind and with that reality, uh, then obviously this idea of taking pictures or talking to potential witnesses has got to be a very important aspect, I would think. Well, absolutely. And, you know, if you go to, uh, you know, any of the excellent personal injury law firms in this city, and, and can I just put a plug in, you know, hometown Hamilton law firms, you're not going to get uh, more experienced, more caring, more qualified lawyers anywhere in this province. So you're not going to go wrong if you go to any of the local um, personal injury law firms. Um, but, you know, it does, it, it takes a while, and, um, you know, those lawyers, all of those lawyers who do this for a living know perfectly well you contact the witnesses early on because, you know, uh, people's memories fade, details, um, you know, become uh, shadows in your brain. You don't remember what's, you know, what's what. So, you know, I get to my witnesses, you know, at the first possible opportunity. Um, and then you also know whether or not that witness is going to be helpful or not. Um, you know, because sometimes the person that you uh, that that has retained you doesn't remember things the same way that uh, an independent um, uh, witness might might 
see things. So, you know, you want to know, you know, who's on, you know, who's wearing a team sweater and who's not wearing a team sweater. So... No, obviously, I'll get in touch with a lawyer such as such as Wisdom's Law. But what about, I know, for instance, if there's an automobile collision, uh, the police always say, you got to fill out a report. I mean, even if nobody's injured, even if you guys shake hands and figure, oh, I'll cover this off for you, there's still supposed to be a report. What is there a reporting mechanism to say, hey, something just happened to me, so you want to put it on the record somewhere? Well, I mean, it depends where you fell. If you fell on city property, obviously the uh, city clerk's not standing on the street corner, um, you need to notify the city within seven days. And, um, you know, otherwise you may jeopardize your case later on. And seven days is not, a, is not a, you know, a big window. So if you fell in an alley or a city parking lot or sidewalk or uh, around a post box, for instance, um, you know, put the city on notice immediately within the, you know, within the first few days because seven days is the time... Uh, that you are allowed to put the city on notice. Otherwise, again, you could be jeopardizing your claim later on. Um, but if you if you fall in in a store or in a mall or um, a, a business, then insist on filling out an incident report or an arena for that matter. Insist on filling out an incident report. If there are staff around, then you should be filling out an incident report, and and you should be asking for a copy of that. And sometimes. Uh, the uh, who's ever who, who's ever taking the information, for instance, in a grocery store, they won't they won't be too anxious to give you a copy of that incident report. Um, still make the make the request, and uh, we we can always get it later on. But it's you know it's nice if you go to see uh, your lawyer and you have that incident report in hand. You mentioned if it's a serious injury, I'd call an ambulance. So that, that would think to be, uh, would be a no-brainer, but I guess some people would not think of it. But how many times, though, if somebody f- slips and falls or has a, a, some sort of a, an accident, and, since, and and six or eight days later they start to feel badly? Well, did you go to the hospital? No, I didn't. Well, that that was probably a missed opportunity to, uh, I guess, to register and to chronicle that something actually occurred and there was an injury. Well, if you don't feel that your injuries warrant the ho- uh, you know a hospital visit, make a call to your family doctor or a walk-in clinic. Um, just to get checked out, I mean, you know, I, I, I have clients who have several broken bones um, who just thought at the scene of the accident, oh, please, you know, honey, just take me home, just take me home. Um, you know, not thinking that they were really seriously injured, but in, in fact, very seriously injured. So, um, you know, just sort of err on the, on the side of caution. Listen, there's a there's a financial end of this. I want to touch on just very briefly uh, because there have been some concerns about Ontario legislation about this. I mean, there are some people that that will have accidents, whether it's vehicular or maybe, a, as you say, a slip and fall or something, and think, boy, I, I'm going to sue these guys and get a ton of money, uh, which is not necessarily the case. I mean, there's certain levels of, of injury, I guess, and that has to be determined, as you mentioned earlier, I guess, over a matter of time, doesn't it? Well, yeah, because... Um for car accidents, for instance, you have to have uh, serious and permanent injury in order to get 10 cents um, from the at-fault driver. And, you know, you may or may not know right away whether or not you have a serious and permanent injury. Um, for, and then there are also other hurdles um, thrown at you for car accidents. There are also uh, large, you know, many thousands of dollar deductibles that, uh, you know, your case needs to be worth more than that in order for you to collect anything from the at-fault insurance company, the at-fault driver's insurance company. But for accidental falls, we don't have those kinds of hurdles. It's still, thank God, the pure tort system in that if you get injured and it's somebody else's fault, 
because you fell or you slipped or something like that, then you are entitled to be compensated. And it may be a lot of money, it may not be a lot of money, but there's no other hurdles thrown in your way. I mean, we have to prove that you fell where you fell and why you fell and that it wasn't, um, you know, all your own fault. But um, there's no deductibles and we don't have to prove that you have a serious and permanent injury in order to get compensated for an accidental fall. What about insurance companies? Obviously, they play into this as this process starts to unfold. Uh, do you get in touch with them right away? Do you, do you see the lawyer first and have them do that? What's the process? Well, usually the first thing we do is, uh, is do a property search to find out who, in fact, owns the property. Um, you know, many retail establishments, for instance, don't own the property where their, where their store is. Um, it's owned by uh, usually a numbered company, and then there's a management company, so we put all of the, those players on notice the store, the property manager, the property owner. We put them on notice of a potential claim. It doesn't mean that there is absolutely a claim, but that sets a mechanism in place where their insurance companies can do their due diligence and, and some investigation. So, so there's probably the insurance company that, for instance, if you use me as, as the potential uh, victim here, because uh, I've been known to stumble and fall a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, but be the, So there's my insurance company, but there's also the insurance company of the, of the person that, that we're maybe bringing an action against. So there's got to be some interaction between those two. No. Unlike oh, really? car accidents, with a car accident, you do, as the victim, put your own insurance company on notice. And, and quite frankly, they're the first pe- person you need to call because the, uh, the accident benefits kicks in and, and you get you know, most of your medical rehabilitation and your income replacement benefits and attendant care, all of those benefits come from your own insurance company in a car accident. In an accidental fall, that's not the case. Your own insurance company is irrelevant to this. Um, it's, you know, so, so we don't have those uh, safeguards in place. Um, if you need physiotherapy, it's coming out of your own pocket. Um, if you're off work, no one's going to reimburse you until the end of the, you know, the the end of the lawsuit. Um, if you need attendant care, you you know, you CCAC is called in. Um, you know, so so there are pros and cons to the kind of injury uh, and the the type of injury you have and and how you got it. But um, you know, so the fact that that this is a pure tort system and you don't have uh, hoops to jump through and hurdles to to uh, um, to jump over. You know, there's still the downside in that no one's going to reimburse you for your out-of-pocket expenses right away. No one's going to pay for your therapy, and no one's going to give you, a, uh, you know, any sort of income replacement benefit at the outset. So that's somewhat problematic then, because as you mentioned, this could go on for years and years and years. And uh, if you're unable to go back to work, you, you're, you're in a real dilemma there. Well, I mean, that's why we have a social safety net. And, you know, it's a, it's a sad commentary, but, um, you know, if you are injured badly enough that you can't return to work in a reasonable length of time, then, you know, you, there's Ontario Disability, ODSP, or, or um, you know, EI Disability. They're, those are the mechanisms that, you know, you need to be um, tapping into. So, just to, to kind of bring this back then, because we're just about out of time right now. So, the, that, the first thing is, obviously, if, if there's an accident, and like I say, it could be any number of different things, vehicular or slip, fall, anything like that at all, uh, is, first of all, look after yourself. And second of all, make sure that people are aware that this happened and when it happened. Those, those seem to be the first two steps. And then, obviously, get in touch with somebody like Wisden's Law to, to see exactly what the process is after that. Well, first of all, make sure your, your own person is well looked after. Yeah. 
you know, obviously. Um, you don't want to be calling your lawyer within 24 hours, um, you, you know, because that's the acute phase and you should be looking after, you know, your own health. Um, and, and, you know, you may, if you fall on a Friday, by Monday you may be all better. You know, you, you, you don't know. So give it a couple of days. Um, again, don't forget the seven-day um, notice period for the city. And, uh, you know, call the lawyers within a few days uh, to see, you know, even just to check on, you know, what, what should I have done, what shouldn't I have done. Um, you know, it may not be too late to go back and take pictures. Uh, you know, I, I often, the first, the first telephone call is, is often, well, did you take photographs? No, I didn't. Can you go and get some just to, you know, just to put it into time and place? Let me have a look at, uh, you know, where you fell and why you fell. I mean, a, a recent case, the, uh, you know, a, a sinkhole uh, was certainly there two days later to be seen. Um, and so those pictures now are very valuable and worth a thousand words. Um, pictures weren't taken at the time, but uh, a couple of days later, those pictures are fine because the conditions hadn't changed. Is there a statute? You mentioned you have seven days to notify a municipality if something happens on city property. But but is there a statute of limitations? I mean, can somebody call you today and say, yeah, you know what, I had a fall about seven months ago. I think I want to pursue something now. Is it is that too late? No. Seven months, is, it's a two-year limitation okay. period. Um, ex- except if you fall, if, you're, if you, there's an accident in your own residential building, for instance, um, then that limitation period is one year. So... You know, but it's a very specific uh, limitation period. For the vast majority of cases, you're looking at a two-year limitation period, which is which is for car accidents as well as accidental falls. Uh, this has been very instructive, and certainly with the weather the way it's going to, supposed to be turning <laughs> later on today. You, the may, the I phone, love this weather. The phone for may start ringing. I know. I know. I had a <laughs> friend of mine years ago that was in the auto body business, and he said, snow, that's white gold to me. So No, I don't mean it that way, and no, I don't I know. wish ill on anyone. I just I love winter, and I love the snow. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.